All right. Hello and welcome back to the Gumtree of Liberty podcast. I'm your host, Drew, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Jack, and host of the No Way Jose show and a member of the Tower Power Hour, Jose Gallison. How are you today? I'm doing all right. Doing all right. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. So I guess to discuss the Anarchist Handbook, which is a great book by Michael Nelson, I recommend everyone read it, or at least some of the essays from it. Uh, I think it's important first to, to define what anarchy is, but first, what was your path to libertarianism? What was your path to, to anarchy? Uh, path to libertarianism, it was kind of like a slow thing. Uh, it was a few things. I probably, I don't know, how do I put this? Um I talked to Reed Coverdale about this before. Uh, I, I went through the theism. like I, I basically became an atheist uh, at some point. I was, very, I was raised in the church. And uh, during that, like, you know, going through that experience of, like, kind of, uh, you know, I guess losing my faith or whatever, like, uh, I know I, I end up getting a lot of debates with my, my family and stuff. And then I really, like, looked into, like, the logic of it and stuff. And so I got really into like logical tools, fallacies, stuff like that. And that was kind of what set the bedrock of like having a decent set of like logical tools to use. And uh, those kind of, you know, came in handy throughout this process of like through libertarianism and anarchy. Um, I don't know if I could give you like a definitive moment that I like became like a libertarian, but it was kind of a, as a young adult, I kind of started getting more into like podcasts and like uh, radio and stuff like that. Um, and I, I kind of like went the route of like kind of, I was came from the conservative like side. I was doing uh, like Shapiro and then I think I kind of like slowly moved from Shapiro to like Ruben and then, you know, like kind of moving along that pathway slowly. And I think I started listening to Rogan at some point. And I think I want to say I found Dave Smith on Rogan. I, I mean, maybe it was somewhere else, but I'm pretty sure I found Dave Smith. I became a big part of the problem fan. And I listened to him for years, and, uh, you know, that's kind of what, you know, I mean, I was already, I would say, a libertarian by the time I hopped on the part of the problem train. But the to get to anarchy, the, Dave Smith is what kind of got me into anarchy. Um, he would always, you know, go on a show, talk about anatomy of the state, and um, I would, because I, I would always kind of roll my eyes when we talk about anarchy stuff. Like, I thought you had a lot of good points. But I just, you know, you always like move from one uh, excuse to another of why anarchy doesn't work. You know, it's kind of a shifting thing. And then after a while, I finally, he kept going on about reading Anatomy State. And I finally was like, okay, I'll read it. And I read it and I was like, holy moly, like that, this is it. Like, like it kind of all the arguments clicked in place uh, with Anatomy State. Like Anatomy State's what did it for me, uh, obviously by coaxing of Dave Smith through his podcast and, uh, yeah, and that's what did it for me there. Um, I mean, I guess it's kind of my story in a nutshell, and then now here I am. But yeah, and then, you know, it also came full circle. For those who don't realize, I'm do. I mean, I don't know if you already mentioned it, but I'm doing a series on the Anarchist Handbook. I've been doing um, basically every chapter I've done, I'm doing an episode. I'm still only like halfway through right now. Uh, I think the second one I had Dave Smith on for Anatomy of the State. And that was kind of like a, a cool moment, like kind of coming full circle because Dave Smith's the one who got me reading Anatomy State. That's when he made an anarchist. And then I got to like then have him on the podcast to discuss it, which was kind of like a, I guess, a magical moment sort of. So, yeah, that's my story. Uh, yeah. Well, as right, an anarchist Christian, I'm, qu I'm quite offended that you'd, leave, that you'd leave us and become an atheist. <laughs> and still be an anarchist. Like, <laughs> it's quite offensive to me as a Christian. <laughs> um, so how would you define anarchy? I, you know, that's kind of a, 
hard question to answer. I don't really have a glib one for that. I mean, the obviously the Anarchist Handbook, there's multiple ways to find it. I come more from the ANCAP type perspective, although I kind of undergird it with like an egoism uh, thing. So I don't know, I guess uh, just more of a matter of like it's uh, the nap. You don't have a right to coerce against me. And, you know, once you kind of, you know, put that to its logical extension, uh, that is what gets you to anarchy. And that's kind of where I'm at. I just, I guess I just see the world functioning better that way. I also see myself as an independent and an actor in the world that, you know, I don't really need these things coercing me and I would prefer them not to. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's really hard to define. <laughs> I mean, like I said, even this book, there's multiple ways to define it. I don't really have a glib answer for anarchy. Um, you know, I, I guess I think Malice had a glib answer in there. You know, uh, you don't speak for me is kind of how he defined it. I don't, I haven't really come up with a good catchy way to define it myself. So that's a pretty yeah. good one. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. I like it. I was, I was tempted to write that on the ballots at the next one because <laughs> yeah. it, it's kind of, yeah. I, I reckon that'd be funny if we just got a bunch of uh, donkey votes that said, you do not speak for me. But uh, I think that would be a vote in itself. Um, do you think there's a, a limit to the non-aggression principle? Uh, in what way? What do you mean? In, in that it in, doesn't... In, in, in general, like, it, it doesn't have a limit. So it's like, um, you know, if is there a circumstance where it, you would uh, not consider it? That something that is your borderline sort of where I mean, you would disregard it? Perhaps. I mean, I, I guess it would really depend on the situation. Uh, I mean, that's kind of a hard, yeah. Yeah. The, the nap is kind of a, uh, it can get kind of a little bit borderline arbitrary in some places. Um, and I guess this is where like private courts for like an ANCAP society would kind of come and play in that, uh, you know, it would be kind of a decision amongst, a, you know, a, a group that, you know, multiple people have, you know, kind of uh, conceded to. It's um, voluntary. But, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, it's pretty hard, you know, say what what the – I mean, that is a hard question to answer. Yeah, the, the NAP isn't this perfect thing, uh, and it's also defined in multiple ways by different people. So it is, it is kind of hard to have this hard and fast rule with the NAP. I mean – at the end of the day, like in a true anarchist society, you know, it would be defined multiple ways by different communities. And it would really just be a matter of finding the community that, uh, you know, interprets it the way that you like. Like, um, yeah, I know, Stuart, you're not a big fan of Archie. And I views him as an example before. Like he's he's been, <laughs> he, he's been known to use stuff like say stuff that like I don't know, racism or, or something or even just mean words break the NAP. And it's like, no, they don't. <laughs> but, you know, okay, it, it, let's say there are people that interpret that way. Like, in an anarchist society, there would likely be some community somewhere that would interpret it in that way. And they would mm -hmm. have their probably their own private courts or community that agrees to a certain set of rules or whatever, you know, that would, you know, or a Hoppian society or whatever it may be that, you know, interprets it that way. And that's fine. Whatever. You can have that place. You can have your your community where, you know, racism breaks NAP and whatever. I just won't live there. Like, <laughs> I, I don't agree with it. So, I mean, I, I guess in a way I would see, you know, that almost as a breaking of the NAP. Uh, but it, it's funny, though, too. Like, uh, we keep bringing up the NAP. But in, like, a certain ultimate sense, I also kind of don't believe in the NAP because, you know, to bring up the egoism, I consider myself an egoist. But I, I see the NAP as more of, like, a useful um, – how do I put it? A useful social, um, what's the word I'm looking for? 
it's like social construct essentially like uh, that's what i see it as i i don't see i know a lot of uh, us try to find ways to define it you know with natural law or you know different other mechanisms as this like ultimate objective thing that exists or whatever or is a provable thing and i don't buy that i find that hard to believe uh but you know this is where the egoism comes in it's just more that like that's what i think is the best way to lead towards a you know a truly you know a, a free society or a society that i would like so and, you know so in an egoist sense that's what i like so you know that's what we're going with <laughs> so or at least that's what i'm going to try to emulate and try to propagate so yeah interesting so you mentioned the anatomy of the state murray rothbard's book from 1974 mm -hmm. it was probably the second book that i read i read liberalism by Mises first but then i read anatomy of the state and i think there's probably a, a good starting point to discuss the anarchist handbook which is a collection of anarchist essays from anarchists from all across the spectrum from anarcho-communists to anarcho-capitalists and then everyone in between so I, I think it's a very interesting approach that Rothbard takes. You know, he starts by by saying, you know, what the state isn't, as opposed to to what the state is. Yeah. And I wanted to get your thoughts on, on why it's important to start that way, because it, it seems quite counterintuitive. Like we've started the podcast by saying define anarchy, and then we're going forward from there. So why do you think it's important for someone like Rothbard to define what the state isn't before he defines what the state is? Uh, I mean, the defining what it isn't, I guess, is more of the idea of dispelling the thoughts that people already have to begin with, because uh, that's that's the biggest thing is people already have their own ideas baked in the cake of what it is. So normally, like, I guess if you're going to start out describing a, a whole new concept or something, you would start from the what it is. But being as he's already starting from the beginning point of people already have this idea of what this concept is, it's good to start off with what it isn't, to be able to spell and to give arguments of what it isn't. Because I can see the logic. Like, if you started with what it is, everyone's just going to be thinking the entire time, like, no, that's not what it is, you know? So to start out with what it isn't is a good way to kind of, uh, I guess, put at bay the naysayers, if you will. Yeah, I think it's a great point. Like, I was talking to someone just last night, in fact, and they said to me, as an anarchist, how do you have governance without government? And, you know, people have these preconceived myths and these notions of, you know, what the state is. And once you break that down first, then you can introduce new new concepts. But I think it's important to, to you know, really, I guess, bust the myths of why the state is is so good and so glorious and, and all hail the state. Um, and I think going a bit later into the book, he talks a bit more about, and this is, I think is the most important part of this book, as it is for us today, especially in, as Australians in COVID, is the intellectuals and i wanted to get your thoughts on the intellectuals in the state and how they interact especially you know with all the trust the science stuff we hear these days and trust the experts yeah um i know this is like this makes me a science denier but or whatever uh, i actually don't even think i'm necessarily a science denier i just think we've been told this thing from a young age that like you know science is this and then they tell you about like well it's peer-reviewed and blah 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 and this and that and but you don't take into account some of the incentives in place that drive it, you know, the ways it goes. Uh, for example, the very fact that most universities get some sort of government kickbacks. Uh, I mean, I don't know how Australia is, but that's, you know, a big thing in the United States. It's all government kickbacks. Oh, they're yeah. all government. Almost all government. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, yeah, I know there are some. Uh, I know in the states, I, I say this, but there are there are private universities and stuff like that. So I don't know how it is in Australia. So there are some that don't fit this mold. But even then, even in those institutions, you could make the case that like, well, okay, those people are competing amongst their peers who already have these incentives in place, so they're just going to likely probably just fall in line with similar types of thinking. Um, but yeah, the point being is like uh, the this this community at whole is essentially incentivized heavily to you know do certain things because, uh, for example, uh, I guess I don't have a good example, but my my what I'm getting at is like uh, say for a research like say some uh, I don't know say you have a biology uh, professor and they want to study flies or whatever like they get grants for these things to do these research things like most of the a lot of these things come from. I mean, I guess sometimes, sure, it can be like a wealthy businessman or something, but let, let's be real. Probably a good portion of the time, I don't know whether it's a majority or a large minority, but it is – there is usually – there's a large amount of like government grants that come involved. So if it's something, you know, say with COVID, uh, say it's something that's trying to disprove the going narrative, uh, there is a pretty solid chance that you may not get that grant money you're looking for. Um, and, you know, I know – People would say stuff like the the rebut to that would be like, well, you know, these people are good. Pe I mean, maybe this isn't it, but a lot of people would say, well, there, there's no way these people would consciously do this. It's like, OK, well, for one, there are people who would consciously make actions like that. But even then, let's say that's not even the case. Even subconsciously, there are incentives that kind of come in place and people just kind of fall in line and fall into a certain type of thinking. It doesn't have to be a conscious way of going. So, yeah, I mean – Ideally, like, yes, if we were in a truly free society, like we would have you would be able to have this like, oh, well, science is this and it's peer reviewed and blah, 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 blah. But and, and I actually do believe in science. I will say that like because but the science is just the scientific method. So well, but now, I, now yeah, <laughs> but now the idea that, you know, because the, the go to people always say it's like, well, these are peer reviewed and blah, blah, blah. blah. And like, OK, cool. You threw in a scientific journal amongst other people who have a similar thinking uh, as mm. you who have the same incentives as you and like, I mean, yeah, sure. Maybe for certain subjects that are no way at all concerned with government or whatever. Yeah. You may not have an issue, but I mean, let's be real. Certain things drive a certain way. Uh, and that's kind of the point Murray is getting at too in, in that. Yeah. The, the, the whole idea of the intelligentsia or whatever. So. Well, if they benefit, if they benefit from, from the state existing and working with them, why are the people out there who then speak against the state? You know, if you've got a few people, a few, I guess, elite or, or intelligentsia who are speaking out against the state, what benefits them? What benefits them? That? I mean, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I they guess want it would the be... state to think their way. That's all it is. It's just a power <laughs> struggle. That's all it is. I mean, sort of. I mean, like, uh, I, I'm not even saying all intelligentsia are bad. Rothbard, I believed. I, be, I don't, I mean, not, maybe I'm wrong. I believe he, at one point, I may be wrong. Maybe it's someone else I'm thinking of. I believe he had a professor position. And so he was in the same thing. It's not, I'm not saying all people. It's just, you know, it's the same thing with people, people in positions of government. Like, I mean, I may joke about all politicians, all this, but there are obviously going to be outliers, but it's, it's the issue is an incentive problem. So it's just more that most people do this and there are some outliers and that'd be the same thing with like a Rothbard or, um, I'm trying to think of other, I know there are plenty of libertarian individuals who held positions in colleges or in, you know, different scientific areas or whatever. And, uh, not, they did the work against the state, but a lot of them struggled because they, they probably had a lot a hard time getting grant money, et cetera, whatever. Um, 
but yeah, I don't know. I guess for them, it really is just more of a personal thing. I'm sure there probably is some sort of, uh, you could probably make the case that, you know, being the one guy speaking out against the state kind of gives you a niche audience as opposed to being, I think. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, but I don't know. I mean, their incentives, I guess it's kind of hard. I'm sure they have their own incentives that it's more honorable. They're against that. Mm. Uh, you know, I mean, it, it could be it could be as little as standing on principle, which yeah. is not something that we see very much these days. I think uh, principled people are few and far between. Oh, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, definitely. Which is a bit concerning when you think about it. Yeah, but even then, I would say with people like, uh, you know, say like a, a Rothbard type, or even then, there it was probably somewhat self-serving. And that mm. that's what made him feel good. That's what he enjoyed. That's that. I mean, he probably saw, you know, the same way that I kind of look at Liberty from an egoist perspective of like, this is the kind of society that he wants to, you know, uh, encourage uh, because that's uh, what he sees as, you know, something that will lead to the, the most prosperous, you know, society, most uh, peaceful, whatever. Uh, so, I mean, there's probably some portion of that, you know, I mean, I don't know, I don't know if you ever had kids or anything. So, I mean, I guess maybe there's not that, but you know, I know for me, I, I, it's entirely self-serving for me, like being this, because this is the kind of world that I would like to live in. And you know, the best way to go about it is to, you know, push these principles. Like if I don't want people to hurt people and if I want people to not hurt people and not take my stuff, the best way to do that is to not hurt people and not take my, not, not take their stuff. And it's yeah. also good to then also encourage other people to do the same. Uh, and so the same with my, because this is, I do have children. This is the world they're going to grow up in. So I, I mean, I know I'm not going to like change the world or whatever, but you know, I can have my own effect in my own area, my own community, whatever. And hopefully I can push these forward that, you know, make a world a little bit better for me, my children, my children's children, so on and so forth. So I know it's a, and I guess you could make the case for somebody like a, like uh, someone, one of our kind in the intelligentsia is they're more, they're more making a low time preference type uh, decision. So, you know, like, uh, cause yeah, I mean, with someone like the, the normal people that work for the intelligentsia, they're going to, they're making the high time preference decision and getting the quick gains, the quick thing. But somebody like a Rothbard, I mean, think of the success of Rothbard now, like he, I mean, compared to while he was doing what he was doing, I'm sure it's way higher than at that point. So, you know, I mean, I guess it's a, it didn't really do much for him in that sense because he's dead, but, you know, uh, yeah. It often happens, though, doesn't it? After someone, people realize what they were saying after they die. Yeah. Seems to happen a lot. For sure. Which, yeah. I think it might have been Dave Smith I heard talking about it on Joe Rogan Experience. He said, you don't know that you're in the revolution until after the revolution. I think What's it was after? Joe. I think that was Dave mm. Smith, but that could be someone else. Where he said, you know, yeah. you, you you don't know in the moment. It's only in, in when you're looking at with hindsight, the power of, of hindsight, which unfortunately yeah. we don't have right now. <laughs> It'd be so yeah. useful during COVID if we had the power of hindsight. <laughs> yeah. Oh, for sure. No, it is an interesting way to look at things because, yeah, if you're in a revolution or uh, world-changing events, you're only in your little slice of time. So, and it's always going to be seem incremental for you and not a sudden shift or change. I mean, obviously there are going to be exceptions, but yeah, no, it, it is an interesting concept to think about. And also, I think, uh, you know, falls of civilizations, uh, you know, collapses or revolutions or whatever. I do think we have our certain ideas of what those are. And those don't 
And when actually put in those situations, they may not always look like what they think they look like, you know, because it's different when you're looking at something from a historical perspective of like, say like the fall of Rome and you're like, Oh my God, Rome collapsed. And you're like, okay, well, yeah, but this happened over this long of a period of time. It may not have really been this disastrous thing for everybody involved. It was more just a thing of the state falling apart, et cetera, et cetera. You know, so I don't know. We, we have our own ideas because I know a lot of people talk about like over in America that like we're on maybe not the brink, but you know, we're not too far off from like a collapse or something. It's kind of like, okay, but what does that mean? Is that necessarily bad? I don't know. I mean, I guess it depends on your personal situation. I'm sure if you hitch your wagon to the state too much, yeah, it's probably going to be bad. So, yeah. you know, could, could even see an inversion of classes maybe or a full collapse of the elites because yeah. you know if if the US dollar collapses what what's their wealth yeah yeah but, no, we're uh, we're it's a it's a it's literally a uh, was it a house of cards so it yeah. Could collapse yeah, 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 yeah. so um i think i think a lot of people would be i, I feel like we're, we're, very invested. without the elites you wouldn't even have the likes of of Robert, Robert Reich, for example, he exists He's because the state is there to support him. People like Robert Reich and and, the, and those other supposedly economists who have gotten rich from from this, um, they they really like without the state, we wouldn't have any of them. They wouldn't be in a position where they are today mm. to, to influence yeah. what people believe. Yeah, Isn't he, that, uh, because they have control because the government uh, just exists and supports them. In a truly free society, they probably would have. Uh, kicked Robert Reich off the cliff at birth. So <laughs> <laughs> I joke. He's like four foot 11. I'm a short guy. I'm like five, 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 six ish. Yeah. He's, I'm he's like, uh, one meter and 49 centimeters tall. Yeah. I don't, I don't understand. That <laughs> that's talk. a, that's a short dude. <laughs> yeah. He's very tiny. Jesus. <laughs> it's funny looking at pictures of him with other normal, just normal size people, let alone <laughs> tall people. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. So he was in, was he and he was in Clinton administration. You know it's bad when short guys Ford make money for being short. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is very funny. I actually I didn't know that he was that short. That's very that's uh yeah. very entertaining information to know about. Yeah, it is pretty wild to think he probably weighs like one twenty. <laughs> <laughs> Like Honestly. I probably would have an easier time beating him up than I would my wife. It's <laughs> <laughs> funny. Every time I see something from him come up on Twitter, I'm just like, this is possibly the worst take I've ever seen on everything yeah. he talks about. Yeah, he's pretty. I don't, awful. I don't know. I don't know. But uh, I think I think it does come back to it is you know he's parroting the state. It's like um, it's like in in Melbourne we have PR guy right on Twitter. And uh, it, it's just it's just straight state propaganda. And if the if the, the state wasn't there, this person would be irrelevant. But and it's also because you know the, I don't know. It's it's very interesting that these people build themselves up off the state. But if that doesn't work out, what are they? Yeah. Well, a good you know, example they're, is they're, they're, they're parasites. Yeah. Yes. A good example is Keynesian economics. Like that's like the going mm. economics for like the establishment that they always rely on. But anyone who even like has a, a decent grasp in economics understands basically how retarded Keynesian economics is. And <laughs> but it makes sense. Like it's the exact type of economics that serves the state if you understand Keynesian economics mm. even a little bit. 
But yeah, no, Keynesian economics is probably the perfect example and why like Austrian economics gets like kind of shunned or even the Chicago school somewhat like, but I don't know. Once you understand Austrian economics, it's pretty simple. It's, and it's, I don't know. It, yeah. The more you de delve into Keynesian economics, you're kind of like, how the hell is this like a thing that is like, you know, the accepted thing? Uh, it makes no sense. Yeah. You're talking about bad takes from Robert Reich, Jack. I've got one for you. <laughs> yeah, I've got a Twitter right now. It's the second or third tweet on his Twitter page. And it's... <laughs> I, read, I read it out for people who are, who are listening to the audio-only version. Um, reminder, Putin's means of keeping Western liberal democracy at bay isn't just to invade Ukraine. It's also to stoke division inside the West by fueling racist nationalism in Western Europe and the United States. Trump oh and Trumpism continue to be Putin's most important ally. This is just, it's the worst takes. <laughs> I've seen, I've seen so many people mentioning Trump, like on both sides. Just stop. He's not president. Cope. Yeah. Well, I mean, there is <laughs> definitely, I'm not a foreign policy expert, but there's definitely cases to be made that, you know, things he did during his time. This is the whole problem with like presidents in general is, you know, it'd be like, well, this is Trump's fault. Well, this is Obama's fault. This is so-and-so's fault. It's the same thing with, like, economic things, especially if you don't have a firm grasp on economics. It's like pretty much all these people are kicking the can down the road. It's, it's yeah. really hard to blame any specific president. It's, it's a whole ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, it's a whole ridiculous idea of this, uh, you know, blue team, red team. And it's like, mm. well, they, they both suck. I mean, yeah, sure, you can point to this person did that. Because I've seen multiple takes throughout today with the whole Ukraine situation that, like, I somewhat agree with so because I'll see one tweet that's like, well, this is Trump's fault because of X, Y, and Z, uh, different foreign policy things. And I'll be like, okay, those are all true. And then there'll be somebody that's like, well, this is Biden's fault because the X, Y, and Z foreign policy thing. I'm like, okay, that's also true. And then somebody will be like, well, this is Obama's fault because the X, Y, and Z foreign policy thing. And you're like, okay, well, that's also true. And it's like, like it's, you can't really blame it. It's the same thing with like economics where it's like, uh, you know, a lot of people will say with Trump, like there was a period of time where like, oh, the economy's booming. And you're like, no, like that, if it, that just means the economy is inflated right now, like big time, uh, you know, and it's really, it's this ongoing problem. Like, um, like with all the stuff in Russia and Ukraine, I'm no foreign, pol like huge foreign policy guy. I go through phases where I get really big into foreign policy and I'm not going to lie past year or so I've just gone exhausted. Like it's, at some point you're like, yeah, I get it. War's bad. I, I don't need to know all the details. Like, <laughs> like, but it's good to be informed, but, uh, I don't know. It's just, I'll, I'll probably in a year or so I'll get really reinvested again, but it's just this ongoing thing. Say with like Russia. Still here. Yeah. <laughs> with Russia, it's like, we've been, the, most of these, like all this like stuff in the middle East has been basically proxy wars with Russia. Mm. So it's like, this has been an ongoing thing for decades. So like the cold war never really ended. So like, these are just like, different proxy wars or different ones now it's just getting a little bit more heated where it's getting closer to russia's doorstep i mean you can blame who you want on it whatever i'm sure you're you can blame putin you can blame ukraine you can blame uh you can blame obama you can blame trump you can blame claim by uh blame biden and you're probably going to be correct in every single one so like i mean depending on your reasoning but there are valid reasons to blame every single one of them for it but in the day it's like this is like i guess not to sound like a lefty, but a systemic problem, if you will. So it's like, I mean, we're both aggravating each other. I mean, if anything, I'd actually say United States is more to blame. Uh, but yes, we are, we're, you know, this is a notable thing that happens. You have nuclear powers playing war games with each other with the entire globe. Like, they're, yeah, it's going to accelerate and get worse and worse and worse. Like, you know, 
And, and to bring it back and, to Rothbard as well, you, you wouldn't have, it wouldn't be as bad as, as bad as it is right now in Ukraine if it wasn't for the fact that the state protected the media and the, and the elites. You know, you have all these think tanks that are funded by, you know, Lock, Lockheed and all the other military industrial complex uh, industries, and they're funding these think tanks. They're not independent at all. They're, they're, they're funded by corporations that are funded by the state. And, you know, because they're then tied to the state, they're, they're then going to, you know, advance and support war. The US has left Afghanistan. What replaces that? Ukraine. So suddenly you have all these elites who are being war hawks to benefit the state and to benefit the military industrial complex. That's what it's all about, really. It comes down to people who are benefiting from the state than arguing in favour of what the state wants. And you wonder, you wonder why that is? Because they're biased. Because they're being paid by the state. Well, yeah, and most of them too are also paid by like uh, I don't know, like arms companies and stuff. So usually, a lot of these are like think tanks that are funded by you know uh, Raytheon or whatever, and they they then you know obviously have a little bit of a bias, and I'm sure they get kickbacks from the the state. I'm sure they have their own loan lobbyists, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I mean it's it's very biased, like, and it's one of those things where, um, God, uh, I'm trying to think. There's someone who said this, but uh. Um, I wish I could remember who said it, but like, say with like the media, because a lot of people would be like, with the media, it's not necessarily that like they like say corporate media that they are like intentionally biased. I mean, I guess they are. You can probably say there's some combination of it, but it's more an idea of like there's a certain incentives there, there's certain uh, you know frame of mind that occurs in the people that work there. There's also this idea of like it's not that necessarily like say you have someone who has these like warhawk takes. And it's not that they be got on CNN or MSNBC and then decide to have Warhawk takes or they did it in an inorganic way. It's more that they wouldn't have been hired if it wasn't for those takes. So it's like they may genuinely yeah. have those takes and genuinely believe them. But the only reason they're sitting there is because of those takes. Like they're not going to take the person who's the, you know, the uh, Scott Horton or whatever and be like, hey, you know. Uh, you get to have a show on CNN or whatever. Like, obviously, like that's not someone they're going to hire. And and even then, of the people that hire them, it's not. It may not even be an intentional thing on their part. It's just a matter of that, like, you know, it doesn't fit their vibe they're going for, and it's not necessarily they're doing it intentionally. It's the same idea. They had someone above them that only got hired because of their their maybe possible genuine beliefs. I'm sure there's people at some point there that are, you know, maybe the plotting, you know, mustache twirling type people that, you know, are borderline genuine evil. But I think most of the time it's just a simple concept of incentives. You know, like these are the people who, you know, incentives are in place. And because of that, like that's how they landed these, these positions, you know, well, so talk, are... talk, talking about funding. Um, not sure if you saw it or not, but there was a, a headline. I don't know whether it was old. It probably was old, but it was the Washington post. They're like war makes you safer and richer in the long run right like are you serious and who do we know how much uh bezos is invested in the military industrial complex because i bet you he is i bet you he's got some kind of investment in there and then there was another one that i saw from the senator in new hampshire uh she was like um as a as the threat of russian invasion looms we are united on the need to provide military assistance to the Ukraine so it can defend itself, right? And I looked up, uh, I, I said, follow the money trail, who's lining their pockets, right? I looked it up. <laughs> Five defense contractors in our top 20 donors, BAE, Raytheon, Northrop Grumman, Sierra Nevada, and Honeywell. 
General Atomics, General Dynamics, and Lockheed Martin are in the top 100 as well. So if that that's sort of, you know, I wonder why she's saying that sort of thing. And you you can find it through the money trail. It's always the money trail. You can yeah, always, I saw... always track it back. Yeah, with that exact headline, I saw someone put out a really good meme today. I wish I could remember who it was or bring it up. But they, uh, you know, the 1984 line, like, war is peace, uh, mm. you know, uh, yes. Yes. slavery yeah. is freedom, ignorance is something, I forget. Uh, and so they had, like, three separate, very recent articles. Like, they had that one for, oh, like, war no. is peace. They had, uh, <laughs> you know, the ignorance one, or no, slavery, or freedom is slavery. They had this, like, one article that recently came out that was, like, a something there they're like you know freedom is this common thing of uh common rallying cry of racist or or whatever and so then they kind of like did this like weird circle back to slavery and there was something about ignorance about the idea of that like oh you know and this is one that was uh very common that went went around a lot especially with all the covid stuff there was admissions from fauci straight up that like hey we didn't release all the information because we were worried how you guys would interpret this like yeah no shit Mm. (laughs) it's like well we can't like say it was like the mass stuff i think i want to say it was the mass stuff he said at one point like oh yeah we knew that wouldn't work that wasn't going to work but we didn't want to like we didn't want to like undermine the trust or of the uh, public or something. I'm like, that's just a fancy way of saying that like we lied and we didn't want to tell you. (laughs) Well, there was, there was one instance where he, um, he lied about masks, uh, not being available, but, Mm -hmm. uh, cause he was like, Oh, but the, the health staff need it. Right. And, uh, there was another thing where he's like, yeah, you could have just worn a scarf or like a, um you know the thin the thin things is like a you know it's still something it might not stop everything it might not be as effective as a mask could be uh but it's still something a a jumper around your face would do it right but they didn't tell you that they're like a mask only and this is that's that sort of thing where it's like well the people who did their own research whether that's the the hysterical status who still won't take their masks off or it's the people who don't want to wear them at all it's it's the same thing and then you've got that that big 90 percent chunk in the middle who would just follow what the state says yeah no yeah it's a it's a definitely wild you know it's funny with like the mask thing they uh, from the beginning like i I remember looking into like i was following ron paul on the liberty report and he was going to all the studies and like even now, like everything he said from the beginning is pretty much been held to be true. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the the, the statistics or the uh, most of the um, uh, studies, the very few studies there are relating to masks, the majority of the studies seem to imply that uh, the only one that even may have even marginal utility is the N95, and even that's debatable. And even then, it's like marginal. So it's mm-hmm. <laughs> like. like like a minor difference possibly and the cloth masks do nothing and there's even good arguments to be made that they probably even are a detriment to your health because so. people don't wash them well yeah that too and it's like you're also <laughs> like even if you do wash them every day it's still a perfect little hotbed for like bacteria mm. and whatever you know so and then you know with viruses like you're you do shed them through your breath so but the idea is then you don't shed them you're just breathing your right back in so by the way, I'm not a medical expert. This is just from secondhand information. <laughs> from all Paul, opinion, so. all opinion. Yeah. I feel it. I find that I you're talking about Jack. So it's from 2014. Yeah. From what yeah, is yeah, from yeah. Wapo. It's written by a uh, historian called Ian Morris. I actually, I'm actually own one of his books. Why the West r- rules for now? Uh, in the long run, wars make us safer and richer. 
Unfortunately, I can't read it, I can't read it because it's behind a paywall because it's the Washington Post. <laughs> um, but what do you know? What do you know? I know, I know. <laughs> but, but what do you know? He's been given research fellowships by the Hoover Institute mm. and the US government's National Endowment for the Humanities Program. Mm, look at that so, money trail I think, proves true again. <laughs> a think tank and the government. Hmm. Yeah. And then I, I just looked up I just looked up when Bezos bought the Washington Post, so it was twenty thirteen. Yeah. The fu- the funny thing is that the, the article it's one of those things where like uh, this is a common point Dave Smith brings up that like we'll see things that like uh so and so country is a threat to democracy or whatever, and we kind of laugh at. But Always. It, the, <laughs> the point is, like, they're not lying. But the matter is, it's the actually the issue of like, well, who are they talking about? Like, are they talking about the state? Are they talking about you? Like, what? Like, it's it's a matter of how you interpret it. So with something like that, there's actually some truth to that because, for, especially with the United States, we talked about like the currency earlier. Pretty much the only thing upholding the value of our dollar is us deep dicking other you know st- uh, countries and being like hey guess what you're paying for your gas in u.s dollars uh you know like and we'll go invade your country otherwise what do they call we'll, it the petrodollar yeah so mm. i mean yeah so that's the only thing really upholding our dollar you know so there is something to that i mean it is definitely a house of cards but for if you are the establishment the state whatever that's 100 percent true that's the only thing yes you are playing a house of cards but it's one of those things that like you got to keep playing it or you're screwed. <laughs> like, uh, you know, this kind of ties in the Spooner thing with the, um, with the, uh, like one of the things he goes into his, uh, thing is the international money lenders and how they're the, like all to blame. And like that debt, like we don't realize, like a lot of people just think of it as just like this, uh, you know, like, uh, Oh, it's a debt. Like, Oh, we can just default or we can just do this or we can do that. And like, okay, have you ever heard of Gaddafi? Like, <laughs> like you don't just default on the debt. Like, these people, these like, yes, for maybe me and you, like, uh, that might not be a big deal if we default in the debt or whatever. But for the people that, you know, control the levers of power, that is a huge deal because that is someone somewhere that wants their money and they will find a way to get their money or they will find a way to make you pay. And that's where you see people like Gaddafi, you know, or I'm sure I can come up with other examples of individuals that clearly weren't playing the international money lenders game. I know that kind of like enters the conspiracy theory territory and uh, you kind of can't hundred percent confirm it, but there are definitely uh, coincidental type things going on that you're like, yeah, it's heavily implied. Well, like- I think, I think you'll find that a lot of the actual socialists, the actual communists that take power are quickly disposed of for uh, whatever reason. But mm-hmm. I feel like that might just be one of the primary reasons. Yeah. But it, it's definitely up there, the the IMF and the World Bank and World Economic Forum and that sort of stuff. It's all sort of, you know, the shadow government, if you want to call it that. Yeah, yeah and then you look at somewhere like Russia, and I'm not saying there's 100% why, but if you look at their national debt, and don't be wrong, they have debt, but it's nowhere, like, compared to other nations, it's not that bad at all. So, mm. I mean, it does can make you wonder, like, okay well maybe there's some sort of international money lender game going on here and they don't like that there's one game like i'm sure that seems like they kind of sort of play ball with the money lenders but they're not 100 percent in you know they're kind of keeping them at bay because they seem to be a little bit more financially smart in that regard as opposed to just being like well we'll just take money from any lender who wants to give it to us and you know we don't have to at all come out positive 
Uh, I mean, I'm to be fair, I don't 100% know. This is more secondhand information. I've never looked into it personally, but it's my understanding their national debt's not that bad compared to most other nations. So I'll look it, I'll look it up oh, quickly. Guess, guess who's <laughs> guess who their paymaster is? Russia has a different paymaster. That paymaster is China. Mm-hmm. China has been funding the Russian military's uh, development in the last 20 years or so after the Cold War because. Because of the economic stagnation in the seventies and eighties, the Russian yes. military, you know, became yes. obsolete. China. So China's funding that China has, is funding their rebuilding a military. So their paymaster is China, and now China has decided to support Russia against mm. the Ukraine. Big money printer go burr. Um, mm. the, it's it's two hundred and eighty billion dollars Russia's debt. Oh yeah, that's like nothing compared to most yeah. other nations, especially well, ours. <laughs> I think Australia has around the same. No, Australia's debt no, is wait, almost trillion, a trillion dollars, almost. Yeah, yeah. In the, it's, it's just, that's, and that's old yeah. data. That that's that's pre that's pre COVID data. Uh, by the end of COVID, it's expected that Australia's national debt will be around two trillion. Great. We were from memory nine hundred and sixty three billion before COVID. So we're going to be in that. That was that two trillion figure is a figure from last year. Um, so you're looking at potentially doubling the national debt because of COVID. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's yeah, it's a, definitely going to be a weird situation in the years to come. <laughs> for hey, Jack, all of us. What, what, what what was Russia's debt again? Was it was it two hundred eighty billion? Billion, yeah, US. Victoria's is two hundred oh, billion. God. Oh my god! <laughs> so a single <laughs> a single state of of Australia has almost as much debt as the Russians do. <laughs> to put that in perspective. Yeah, which is an indicator of essentially how cucked you are to the international money lenders. So, like, and I, you made the point that I, there, then you add the extra dimension if they're pulling it from China, that, that you know, that's, you know, they're basically have a probably opposing money lender. Although I don't know where the hell China is getting their money from because they... They, a, they print it because they they don't care yeah <laughs> it's state capitalism they don't care yeah no which <laughs> that is the other thing it's like china is very much this paper tiger uh, like i know a lot of people like to freak out the conservatives whatever and you know i guess that might actually be a good situation for russia because if that's genuinely where they're getting their money from is just their their you know china's fiat that they're just pulling out of their ass themselves it's kind of like Okay, like, uh, you know, I guess when you have a kind of country like China, maybe you can kind of get away with that. But, you know, I guess it may work out. So if China ends up collapsing and it'd just be kind of like, oh, well, there goes your debt, Russia. <laughs> like, I don't know. I, I don't know how that works with those those countries. So I'm totally talking out my ass here. So, but. So could you say that China is a, is a, paper, it's a paper money tiger then? Yeah. It's, a, it's all about printing money. <laughs> yeah. The, the one, I got one final point from Rothbard, then we'll move on to one of Jack's essays. Uh, that that article by Ian Morris in the Washington Post, he made the argument in favour of um, Hobbes and the social contract, which is a big thing that Rothbard was opposed to. He pointed out in in, in Anatomy of the State that you know it, the government was became where it is today because of conquest and and, and wars and invasion. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's a very good point to make is that there is no social contract because you know. We don't, we don't really get a say in who our masters are. Even even if we have voting, you know, you don't vote for the bureaucrats, you don't vote for the military, you don't vote for all the, the government's corporations. 
I think that's a great point. Is the, the social what, contract? What, are the, what is, are the socialists? What did the socialists say? There is no ethical consumption under capitalism. Something like yeah. that. Sounds about <laughs> <Yeah>. right. <laughs> I mean, so, social contract thing is actually more of a Spooner thing. Like in in his mm. uh, his essay there, uh, no treason. Yeah, because that's kind of one Spooner of the main well. points. Is that it's kind of making fun of the Constitution, the, the American Constitution. Obviously, I don't know exactly. I'm assuming you guys are probably a constitutional republic now. Which uh, uh, nope. Uh, what no, what are monarchy? It's huh? constitutional monarchy, no. Rep- what what would no, so Australia, Australia is so we're a constitutional monarchy and a parliamentary yeah. democracy. Okay. Okay. Those are Two of the worst systems ever. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but but the the it's problem a weird is well, it's it's going to be interesting because we've uh, I think this is my prediction is when the queen dies, we're going to see a massive exodus of Commonwealth states from the Commonwealth. I think we're going. To, I think there's a lot of respect for her around the world, and once she's gone, all that respect is gone, and I think the crown might actually crumble. But no, I guess we'll see. Didn't you hear that the queen's COVID dead? <laughs> maybe the, the co- queen's maybe dead. COVID will kill her. <laughs> didn't didn't hear the fear that the queen's dead and the queen's being replaced by some actor who looks like the queen. Didn't oh, you hear about that, Jack? I didn't hear about that. That's funny. The queen's dead is an actress. <laughs> it's believable, really. Um, <laughs> but the the other problem is if uh, if just before we move on to the next one is uh, if Australia was to become a republic, uh, the people running the country right now will uh, not do it properly. It will turn way worse. Than it already is, and uh, that's that's my biggest issue, which is why I don't think that we should even consider looking into being becoming a republic. But that's that's me, just because there's a, I just I just don't think I don't think the people in power right now have the capacity or the brain power to actually devise something that could protect people for hundreds of years to come. Yeah, I mean, I don't know anything about your your uh, government, but I would think if they did, Ass. you know, transition governments, <laughs> especially yeah. if it wasn't some sort of revolution or crazy change, they would likely like if you did, did go the constitutional republic route, it would probably they would likely just probably create a derivative of it, and so it would probably just end up being a shittier version. So I, I can kind of see what yeah. you're getting at. I don't know I yeah. could be wrong. I'm to, I don't really understand your gov- country at all. I I, 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 I struggle to uh, understand my own. So, <laughs> yeah. Go check, go check out my series on the ALN website called Australian Government. I'm breaking it down on how it works for everyone. <laughs> I've got I'll two articles honest. that so far on how it works. <laughs> I'll be honest, I probably won't. <laughs> Nobody reads anymore oh, anyway. No, I, no. I would suggest if you're Australian, go check days. it out. Or if you're very. Still podcast these days. <laughs> Is it okay? Yeah, so. I just, all right. It would be it would be very random inform- thing for someone like me, not in your country, to really go on a tear of <laughs> what is how does this country's government work? <laughs> I mean, maybe one day I'll get it because it's kind of like sometimes you get those rabbit holes of things you get interested in. Maybe yeah. one day. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So, no, are we going into sure? One of your um, um, one of your essays. Do Do you want to look at uh, Max Sterner? Because you mentioned ego, sure. I think that's a, a good tie-in. So, do you want to do you want to go over that one and explain sort of his um, base for his uh, his essay, and we'll talk about that. Sure. Are you asking me, or are you, or are you? Yeah, uh, asking you. Yeah, you probably uh, have a better grasp e- of it than I do. Egoism. 
I'm trying to think. I'm, I'm bringing up the page in case something comes to me. Uh, all things are nothing to me. That's a good way to start with. That's one of the beginning portions of that thing. Uh, really, it's a, it's a, honestly, it's a better version of objectivism in my, in my opinion. Like, I don't know if you guys are familiar with objectivism. It's a, you know, with Ayn Rand, it's the concept of like, uh, you know, selfishness or rational self-interest. It's the same idea, but brought to the logical extreme. Cause I don't know, Ayn Rand goes kind of weird, different directions. It's basically the idea of that it's kind of the starting point is you. And the funny thing is like, um, when it comes to egoism, it's it's almost it's anarchy, but like in an ultimate sense. It's like because there are ancoms that are uh, egoists or ancaps that are egoists. It's almost like this thing that like is undergirds it. So like you know, say with because it kind of like explains things like natural rights stuff like it. Whereas it more just makes a point of like, well, those aren't a thing. Uh, like it's he he <laughs> calls them spooks. Like these are just ideas in your mind. Like. Uh, yes, I mean, I kind of made the point earlier that I see them as a useful concept, but I still understand, at the end of the day, property rights are just something we, we made up. I do think yeah. there's a useful thing, and I'm sure you probably could point to specific instances in nature and be like, well, this animal has property rights or whatever, but you get in this really weird subjective area, and it's it's I find it easier just to be like, well, uh, I find this to be a better way for the world to operate, and we're going from there. Um, but yeah, it's really just a matter of, I guess... You know, I guess they say selfishness, I guess would be a way to put it. Ego, egoism, like you, it starts from you. So it's almost like you are the center of your personal world and everything ex expands out from there, which sounds awful. One thing Sterner is most well known for is his concept of rights, which is the might makes right type idea. Because like um, a lot of people accuse like uh, Sterner, Sterner type people, or you know, a lot of people, the the cat, the gotcha for Sterner for egoists is always like, well, what about pedophiles or whatever? Like, because per, per his idea of rights is like, you have the right to do whatever you can do, like anything you mm. have a right to do. But now, like, if you get into what's called a clash of rights, say I want to do something, but you don't want me to do it, and you know, say you like, if I'm able to do it, I had the right. Because I actually end up doing it now. If you were able to stop me, you had the That's right. That's your right as well, yeah. Yes, I, 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 yeah, I remember. Yeah. I remember that because that was one of the things that really stuck out to me for that. Yeah, that part. So it's a, it's, the the essay is very dense. Um, yes, it's very hard to understand. It's yeah, it's yeah. Uh, he's, he's an interesting writer for sure. But it is a uh, it very much is might makes right, which people like scoff at and be like, oh my god. So you know the the go to is like heinous things like pedophilia. And it's like the way I always explain is like, yes, technically, per Sterner's concept of rights, the pedophile has the right to do that. But you also have the right to go blow his brains out. So it's a matter <laughs> of who whose right wins out. <laughs> yeah. So and I know a lot of people are like, oh, this evolve into crazy anarchy. And you're like, OK, but yeah, you have to exist in a world. So like you being an individual being like, hey, I'm an egoist and I can kind of do whatever I want. But now, do I really want to do this thing that will put me in this precarious position? No. <laughs> like, yeah. And it even is a matter of, say, to even bring it back to pedophilia. Do you want to do that? I don't. I, 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 I doubt you guys do. And that's kind of an understanding of most people in the world. And, yes, there are going to be people who want to. But you know what? The I'd say the majority of people don't want to. And you know what? The cool thing is if we have this concept of egoism is – or, or we're all a union of egoists, which is a concept within egoism is we'll be like, well, screw that guy. <laughs> like, and you, yeah. and I know a lot of people might like be like, well, you know, a lot of people make fun of like, uh, 
and this is why one of the reasons why like uh, I, I like egoism because like you get in like ancap world where a lot of people get in these like super autistic arguments like say like age of consent and like being an egoist i get to be like you know i don't care like the, the issue for me isn't consent the issue is i don't like that and the end <laughs> like, and that's yeah. kind of where it goes from so like a lot of people can like argue like oh well the, you know, maybe this age can consent maybe this age can consent. I'm like well the consent's not the crux of the issue for me here the crux of the issue is i find that abhorrent the end yeah. <laughs> and that's kind of where it comes from and if you were in a you know an egoist society i guess if you will it would be a matter of like well we're in a community we don't accept of that you can face the wall now <laughs> like, yeah. and that's really what it comes down to and i mean you know a lot of people with the might makes right thing will point out like i like to use the example of you know like a lot of people will be like you could go like oh an egoism world you could just go kill your neighbor and do whatever and it's like okay yeah but you live in a community and even if it is a community full of egoists that think the same way as you they're not gonna like there's someone in their community who just brazenly does stuff like this like they're probably gonna take care of you <laughs> so and yeah it's like this ultimate uh, concept of individualism is basically what egoism is. It's it's super interesting because I think egoism mixed with mutualism is probably uh, a nearing perfect system. Because if everyone sort of requires each other to uh, subsist in the world or exist or um, cooperate and um, be mutually beneficial to each other while also having this idea. I think it's sort of a, a really good concept that would then go beyond this, this stupid argument of things like, well, I could do this. Well, sure, but that doesn't benefit everyone else. So it's sort of, it, it requires that balance between these two, these two things that kind of work together, but they kind of don't at the same time. I think it's, um, I think it's a very interesting concept, and reading reading through it, I've uh, I pulled I pulled a couple of quotes, which I'll, I'll um, try and find them because I think they're pretty oh, good sure. quotes. I love um, I love Stern quotes. <laughs> but there, he's uh, super fascinating. The writing was super super fascinating. Um, just that sort of um, the the rabid individualism, if you want to call it that. Yeah. Whether I'm in the right or not, there is no judge but myself. I have the page open right now. I, I love Sterner quotes. Sterner quotes are great. <laughs> I, I wrote it down in my notes somewhere. Um, which, uh, the, to keep in mind, for those who read the Anarchist Handbook, this is just an excerpt of Ego in its own, which is his uh, Sterner's notable book. I don't think he has another book. I think he might have a couple of like articles or essays here and there. But yeah, there is a lot more. In this section, I believe it goes more into like rights and the state is kind of where it focuses on but uh sterner's ego in his own goes a lot more like the, the the thing i always like to bring up is uh in ego in his own he goes into the concept of love like egoist love because a lot of people accuse like being an ultimate individual or like everything comes from you like well then how does something like love work and you're like mm. or like uh you know your family or whatever like these things that people almost see as like borderline obligations and it's this idea of like from an egoist perspective it's like I love you because I want to love it because I want to be with you. you know, like with my family, I want to be with my family. I love my children. I want to be with them. And that's kind of like the ideal thing to, that's like the best way to look at it. Cause people have this 
weird inverse view of things is like obligations. And I guess in a sense, there's sort of an obligation, but I want that obligation. Like mm. I want to be with my family, like to, for me, that is something I want, you know what I mean? So, and it is kind of, it's kind of, I actually find egoism to be kind of beautiful because if you really look at it, it's the idea of that the things that I do are because I want them to do. If you are in my life, it's because I want you in my life. It's, it's not because I feel like some sort of obligation to you or whatever. It, every, everything comes from this place of, because I want in a certain sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I found the quote. It was, uh, uh, the social reformers preach to us law of society. There, are individ uh, there the individual becomes society's slave and is in the right only when society makes him out in the right, when he lives according to society's statute and so is loyal. Whether I am loyal under a despotism or in a society, it is the, the same absence of a right in so far as in both cases, I have not my right, but foreign right. Yeah. Because it's rights being granted to you by an external force. So yes. that one that one stuck out to me when I was reading through it the first time. Yeah. No, and, I, uh, I do like his idea of, I think he calls them egoist rights or, uh, or I, they might have a different uh, definition. But yeah, no, he does make a good point of like rights in general are very slippery concepts so to mm. make it simply this idea of like well whatever you have the power to do or you know like that is your right and that is a, i know for you know ancaps especially they a lot of them see that as reprehensible it's almost an inverse of how we typically look at things but if you really put in perspective and think about it and really you know play it out it's not that crazy because yeah a lot of people are like well you could just be a warlord or whatever and you're like okay yeah but the Maybe I don't want that, and also maybe mm. I don't have the power to attain that. That's not within yeah. my right. I'm not able to attain that. I don't have the might for that, nor would I really want to. So mm. you know. And it's funny because even even in the situation where a law a warlord would come to power, any one of the people around him have the power to end that. Yes. So it's it's that sort of thing where it's sort of self checking in a way. Mm -hmm. So and it's but the other. I guess the downfall of it is you're requiring um, a reliance on someone's morals, someone's morals who may not be there. Uh, I wouldn't say necessarily. I mean, I mean, I think you could be an egoist in a modern day world, and in, in egoism doesn't even look necessarily like he sees morality as a spook. Morality is nonsense, mm. and I actually. I kind of agree with that in a certain extent because I'm not someone who believes in objective morality. Uh, but like, I, I, but at the end of the day, like if, how do I describe it? Like when it comes to like good and bad things or what people normally describe as good and bad, I, I, I don't have to use an objective morality to get there. I can completely come from it from a subjective perspective and be like, what, you know, like, I don't know, say, I think an example. I mean, not to keep going back to pedophilia, like uh, something. <laughs> like, I see that as bad because I don't see that conducive to a good to a good society. I don't like it. You know, I don't. I, I think it's you know abhorrent, and that's really all I need to it. And that's like egoism at, at its core. It's like I don't, like I don't. It, it's not necessarily a matter of like morality. It's just that uh, you know, from my individual perspective, fuck that. <laughs> like, yeah. And it, it, it really doesn't require much more thinking than that. And you know, whether that's like biological or individual it kind of doesn't matter I mean, my own individual perspective is screw that and if i can get enough other people to agree with me we can make some sort of uh change make some sort of uh 
initiative to deal with that. And, mm -hmm. you know, in an egoist society or even a, a, a group of egoists, or even if you want to be an egoist in a society that's not full of egoists, you can literally just hack their morality or their yeah. line of logic and convince them of why this is bad. They're like, oh, well, you think the floating man in the sky thinks that? Okay, yeah, yeah, that's totally why that's bad. Let's go deal with it. <laughs> like, I mean, whatever you got to use, you know, I mean, yeah. it's funny. There's a portion, too, where he goes into, like, things like uh, lying, uh, you know, um, in uh, this is an ego zone on this excerpt in this. He goes into lying how, like, you know, when it comes to, like, morality being a spook, he's like, he basically goes into how he has no issue with lying. So say something like, uh, and, like, I don't either. I don't have a moral issue with lying. I, ha I have more of a practical issue with lying. I like to be someone that people can see as being someone you can trust as a source of information. So yeah. I, I don't make it a habit of lying, but I can tell you damn sure if I'm ever in a situation where my balls are in a advice and lying is what will get me out of it, hell yeah. But it is a matter of like a cost benefit thing. If it's some like silly little thing, like, no, I'm not gonna lie. Why would I like impugn my respectability in any way for some slight, you know, but it, it would have to be something pretty big now like if i'm on trial because i did something awful let's say i killed someone like yeah i i'm if i'm under oath i'm not gonna be like yeah i killed him <laughs> like, like i'm not an idiot like it's a i'm honest but to a fault uh, not to a fault type deal so yeah uh, yeah and, and it's and it's and that's kind of the issue like the thing with morality like if i had a concept of morality like lying's bad like i'd be like oh i can't do that it's it's not necessarily an issue of that. It's more of a practical concern, you know? It's like, and I also don't really like to lie. It's kind of annoying. Like, why do that? Now it's it's inconvenient. Now I have to keep track of my lies. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, that's what always trips people up, isn't it? They can't keep track of them. Yeah. It's almost always what trips them up. It's why, mm -hmm. it's why politicians always end up coming out as liars, because they can't keep track of them. Yeah. Um, I think it was I think it was Jerry that said to go to the politician's first speech, their maiden speech, to figure out what they were actually like. Yes, that and was then, Jerry. And yeah, and then you compare it to their speeches now, and you'll see how they've changed. In in the modern uh, modern day society, is such a game changer with like the way the internet is and stuff. Because in the past, like these politicians used to be able to say whatever they could they could say one thing at one speech in mm. in Nebraska, go to go to texas and say something completely different and no one will be able to tell hillary up clinton yeah no no one would be able to tell the difference because it's like what, yeah. what are you gonna what are you gonna do send some sort of what are you gonna send mail to someone you know on the mm. other side of the country and be like hey this is what she said like you were almost uh, relying on journalists to tell you that they're saying something yes. different which they never would or not that's that's not necessarily accurate but most I guess the corporate press, because it, it, realistically, people are like, oh, journalists were so truthful. If you really look into it, I doubt they were. I highly doubt it's changed at all. Mm -hmm. There are the principal journalists, and then there's the corporate press. So it's it's just that sort of that sort of thing. I decide whether it is the right in the right thing in me. There is no right outside me. If it is right for me, it is right. Possibly this may not suffice to make it right for the rest. That is their care, not mine. <laughs> I love Sterner. That's, a, that's a good quote. He's so blunt. That, I think that's why. I think that's why it's so. Um, it rubs people the wrong way because he's yeah. so blunt about it. He's not just trying to dance around what he means. He's just saying that 
if I want to do it, I'm doing it. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it is funny too. When you do read Eagle's Zone, it is like, it is a completely, it kind of shifts your way of thinking about things. Cause it's like, you read it and you think like, Oh, this guy just wants to do awful things. He's a piece of shit. He want he just like, you know, whatever, whatever, you know, all the bad things that come to mind mm-hmm. with selfishness or, or, you know, some sort of extreme individualism. But then when you think it through, it's like, no, this guy actually is kind of describing sort of being a good person, but because he wants to be. Yes. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, because there's the the good people who do it because society wants them to. But yes. really, that's that's the it's the the outward appearance. It's the mask that slips, right? Mm. It's the person is not the mask that they wear. So it's it's that sort of thing, and it's in. in in the most simplest term, it's a brutally honest society. Mm. That's that's all it is. Yeah, I think anyway. And that idea of doing good for the society when it's in your own interest is is it's, it's concept called enlightened self interest, and it's also it ties in with uh, Ayn Rand and the objectivists is that you know you're doing good for the community because it also helps benefit you. And I think it's a it is a even though I'm not an egoist myself, I think it's a very good approach to take to life. Um, when you're doing good things, is that you can do it for yourself. You can do it for your own self-interest, even if even if it benefits society. You know, like people think that self-interest and the greater good per se are they they like polar opposites, but no, they can often overlap. Yeah, for and, sure. and, and egoism demonstrates that. Yeah, no, uh, yeah, the egoism is a very interesting idea, and in that like it is. I'm not saying Ayn Rand stole it from him, but it is very much like it's weird, like. Egoism is like when you read it, you can see so many other ideologies that like kind of seem to borderline spring from it. And maybe I'm not saying they did it intentionally. It's just a matter of like this is kind of way the way that ideas propagate. Like there's a little bit of postmodernism in there. There's a little bit of objectivism. There's a little bit of um, uh, even like agorism and stuff like that. Like you can see all sorts of different stuff when you read it. It's it's really cool seeing that. And then you can also kind of see some of the commies ideas and some of the lefties. You can see some ANCAP. You can see all sorts of stuff in that when you read it. It's, it's a, I don't know. I, I always, I mean, I guess I would, I, I hesitate to say I highly suggest everyone read it, but if you're someone who's a little bit more uh, read on this stuff, cause it is dense reading. It's weird reading. I don't even know how to explain it. It's almost it's, it's, like, a, I had to go back a couple times for a few pages and reread yeah. the entire page. Cause it's sort of, um, it, it's so dense. It's, it's very, cookie. very dense. Well, it, 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 yeah, it, 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 it marks even it's really old writing. Yeah. Uh, it is 1830 yeah. something, 1844. Yeah, he was buddies Marx, with uh, Marx. Marx and was 50, 50 was forty nine. Maybe was the Communist Manifesto. I think I'm pretty sure he was buddies with Marx and Engels, or maybe not Marx. Surprised. I'm pretty sure Marx got actually kind of pissy at him. If you read it, he you actually see lots of critiques of Marx and Engels in this. <laughs> so, yeah, like if you're paying attention, like you. I, I always say that I always say that Marx was a moocher who made an ideology to justify his mooching. <laughs> That's uh, that's how I put it. Yeah. Not a not a fan. But um, well, just just an aside, just as we're uh, sort of transitioning, where do you think where did anarcho communism come from? Is there is there a um, an essay in the book that talks about that? Uh, I'll be honest, it's where I have a little bit of blind spot. Like, mm. honestly, probably the extent of, like, ANCOM and anarcho-socialist stuff is 
not the extent, but the, the a decent amount of it's what I've read in here, and it's only the little excerpts. I have gone. Uh, I've listened to a lot of audiobooks of like Goldman, uh, but I have. I'll be honest. That's a spot where I haven't really delved too deep in into the lefties. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I guess a lot of people make the case that Sterner was a lefty, but I think he kind of transcends that in a way. But mm. yeah, I, I I don't know. I couldn't tell you. I, I mean, Bakunin would probably be one for like an Ancom. Like I know he's. One of the ones to go to for, I believe, the ANCOM types. Um, you know, I, I, I couldn't give you too much aside from what I've read in here. And even then, I'm not too well read on it. Like, uh, basically what I'm doing, I haven't done the Bakunin ep- episode yet. But for, you know, just so you guys know, basically what I do whenever I do an episode is I'll usually, like, obviously, I'm, I'm trying, I'll read it. And then I'll try to get an idea of what a good guest would be for it. Cause I'm trying to pick guests that steel man, the ideas or, or ha- like that's basically genuinely their perspective. So I'm trying to find people who fit that, um, you know, um, I'm trying to think of a good example of that. Uh, do, 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 who was one that was a good one for that. I don't know. Uh, I, don't know I can't think of one on the top of my head, but, and then what'll happen is when I pick one and then whenever I decide to finally like schedule it, then I'll read it over and over and over again. So I'll read it multiple times to get a good idea of it, but I haven't done any of the lefties yet really. So aside from Benjamin Tucker, I did that, but mm-hmm. Benjamin Tucker is like an interesting example where he's like a lefty, but then the things he prescribes are very much in line with what we believe. So it's like the only, like you could almost like if you read that Benjamin Tucker essay, if there's like, I think, I think there are a couple times he mentions like socialism or like you could almost just swap out the word with like capitalism and the majority of ANCAPs when you even pick it up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and there's only like one minor part, like there's like one part where he kind of talks about the labor theory of value uh, or whatever. And uh, like, even then, most ANCAPs probably wouldn't even pick up on that little thing because, like, I mean, he's still at the end of the day, he's still prescribing anarchy. So it's like it, in it, yeah. and like while he has a, a weird starting point, he ends up at the right finishing point. So it's like okay, <laughs> <laughs> like and even um, then the starting point's not that off. It's just a little bit no. off, you know. So I, well, I was from doing, memory, uh, Ancoms no. come back from uh, the late seventeen hundreds. So he's looking, he's looking French Revolution, and then developing uh, into the Paris Commune and the like. So it it predates Marx, even Marx. Was not he did not create communism? It was existed before him. He reinvented it, per se. I mean, sure, the idea of communal living isn't new. Yeah, that's it's you know humanity almost. But um, I did just uh, I was doing a little bit of reading while you were talking. I did find on uh, on the Wikipedia there's a a poem that Frederick Engels wrote about uh, Max Stirner. It says, uh, look at Sterner, look at him, the peaceful enemy of all constraint. For the moment, he is still drinking beer. Soon he will be drinking blood as though it were water. When others cry savagely down with kings, Sterner immediately supplements down with the laws also. Sterner, full of dignity, proclaims, you bend your willpower and you dare to call yourself free. You become accustomed to slavery, down with dogmatism, down with, uh, down with law. So it's yeah. not bad. It's very interesting. So it says uh, Engels recalled how they were once great friends. Uh, later, Marx and Engels wrote major criticism of his work. Yeah, I do so, like it. 
I do like uh, later in the uh, Sterner one, he kind of goes more into like our relation with the state. Like here's a good example of what he's kind of get. No one has any business to command my actions to say what course I shall pursue and set up a code to govern it. I must put up with it that he treats me as his enemy, but never that he makes free with me as his creature and that he makes his reason or even unreason my plumb line. And, and I don't know, it is very, I, I do like this section he picked that he goes into the idea of like, uh, I forget how he puts it. He, he I think he kind of goes into the ego versus the state and kind of the idea how the state tries to get you to conform to it. And while you do need to some extent exist within it, like, cause he brings up the point of making like, don't make it your plumb line. Like, yes, you have to exist within it, but don't let it be your overriding like viewpoint or reasoning, you know, like, yes. I mean, maybe, you know, through egoistic means, uh, not allow yourself to be put in a situation where they'll screw you over, but you know, <laughs> don't let that override your reason and accept this as the proper reality or the proper way of thinking, you know, and to let your ego rule over essentially. Mm. This Do you want to go even and discuss Golden Mole over here, Jack? Do you want to discuss uh, Golden Mole talking about well, because she's pretty socialist? Yeah. I mean, we can we can talk about the idea, but I didn't get through most of that one, um, even though it is only eight pages. Oh, he got okay. Here's how he breaks it. Down. He breaks it down his own will and the state, or the state's will is how he breaks it down in there. And almost yeah. like there's two competing uh, concepts going on at the same time: your will and the state's will, essentially. Uh, you know, and, and the idea is to not allow the state's will to override yours. Like this, people would let it, let it, it would be like your sheep or whatever, just kind of fall in line with what the state says kind of deal. Well, generally the state will, the will of the state is against the will of the people. Usually the state is against their interests, working yes. against the people, but they're just convinced us that it's for our own good, even though it often mm-hmm. isn't. Yeah. Like going, again, going to war doesn't make you rich, doesn't make people wealthy. It, it destroys us. Um, it destroys the economy and it just leads more powerful. taxation. Makes the rich, makes the rich, rich. powerful, exactly. I went to, I, it makes the rich richer and the poor poorer. Yeah. Yeah. I, went on a, I went on a spree uh, posting, posting stuff. It's like war, This one says, uh, war is for empire and empire only benefits the rich, mm. which is true. Yeah, here's another example. It's gonna, the master is a thing made by the servant. If submissiveness ceased, it would be over with all lordship. Uh, own will and the state are powers and deadly hostility between which no eternal peace is possible. As long as the state asserts itself, it represents own will, its ever hostile opponent as unreasonable, evil, and the latter lets itself be talked into believing this. Indeed, it really is such for no more reason than this that it still lets itself be talked into such belief. It has not yet come to itself into the consciousness of its dignity, which is kind of beautiful. I do like how he like, you know, frames that as like your own will is like this beautiful thing that you just need to come to realize and accept. And that is actually a concept within ego on its own where he kind of like, he actually kind of is like, we're all egoists. It's just a matter of accepting it and understanding it. Cause even if you do exist in this thing, in the day, this is the thing Ayn Rand kind of went to a lot too, is that like, in the day, you're all operating off of rational self-interest, to put mm. it in Ayn Randian terms. It's just a matter of that you need to accept it and stop trying to fight it because it's almost like this internal battle you're having, you know. And uh, it, in, in like, um, you know, for example, like 
it'd be a matter of like, you know, say with something like charity, like, or whatever, like, instead of like trying to lie to yourself and, 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 you know, be like, Oh, I'm doing it for, you know, these people. It's just a matter of like, just accept this makes you feel good. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, like if anything, it's weird that you're trying to fight this, like just accept it, you know, and, and, and it'll make you much more at peace with yourself. You know, that's funny. I, I didn't even think about it until just now. It just sort of, it just clicked as like Ayn Rand was probably the first political thing, like political ideological thing that I ever read. Uh, like unwillingly, I just sort of, I heard about this book and I, I read it. Very, very interesting. Very, very interesting. And that yeah. was, that was maybe 2018 before I went to the US, I think. And um, that was, it snapped me out of my, my conservative stage, which was f- fucking good. <laughs> which, did you read one of her fiction books? or, or were you um, It was um, Fountainhead, I think. I read the Fountainhead good too. Mm. I'll be honest. I do like the like uh, the ideas I got of it, but I was not very impressed with the uh, the story overall. I know a lot of people mm. have a different idea. Like I thought it was cool, but it, it came off to me as like head? no, it was yeah. the train one. Is that that's Fountainhead? I think yeah. Yeah, I think so. It came off like uh, someone started with hey, these are the these are the this is the moral of the story. And now I need to make a, a story to fit this yeah. as, a, as opposed to like, I mean, don't be wrong. I think it's good to have for a story to have a moral, but if like, you're just trying to force the moral of the story, I don't know. It comes off as weird. I, I didn't find it particularly interesting aside from been, the, it might've been uh, Atlas shrugged. The, yeah, the one that okay. I read. I think if he's the train one, I'm pretty sure in Fountain he, he blew up a train or maybe no, it, was, it, it was the, the one with the, the chick, the, the uh, chick was the main character. Dagny. Taggart, I think her name was. I think I think that's Atlas Shrugged. As long as I've read it, is Dagny? I don't know. Whatever. One of the two. I never read Atlas Shrugged though. So, oh, hi, Spideruckus. See you in the chat. <laughs> um, yeah, it was it was Atlas Shrugged. Okay, I've never read Atlas Shrugged. So I don't know. Maybe that's it's weird. I, I've heard people that love Atlas Shrugged and don't love Fountainhead and vice versa. Maybe it's just a taste thing. One of these mm. days, I need to get around to reading Atlas Shrugged. I, but... I enjoyed them both, honestly. I I enjoyed them both, but that was sort of that was that snapped me out of my. I was uh, I think I think I was watching uh, Stephen Crowder at that point. So I've I've come on a big journey. <laughs> it was like. Because I went from wanting to join the military to now, so it's it's gone all the way down. So it's yeah, it's good. super interesting. Yeah, I was um, similar. I was I was Stephen Crowder back in 2018 as well. But before then, I was pro Hillary. So, oh boy, that's an even bigger that's an even bigger jump. Yeah, I was never there. I was never that. No, that's that's uh, that's next level. I had my Crowder period. I think it was like Shapiro, Crowder, then Ruben at some point. So. I think I, everyone has I, their Crowder um, period, I'm pretty sure. It yeah. seems to be a common trend. Because yeah. I was, um, I first sort of got onto the internet in that like Gamergate era. So I was like, I was watching all of those people. So all the, all the Atheist Plus sort of shit, that sort mm-hmm. of cringe time of YouTube. Yeah. And I've sort of, I've come all the way around, which is, yeah. which is fun. Full circle. You know, the, the atheism community is pretty awful. I'll admit that. It's, an it's so bad. It got so bad. Yeah. So so bad. Um. Yeah. yeah it was. Uh... <laughs> Bloody hell. 
Um, do we want to go into any other ones, or we? We can touch we on the Goldman a little if you want. I mean, and I don't really. I'll be honest. With, I don't have much to say on the Goldman one because, uh, I mean, I have listened to a couple of her audiobooks, but that's forever ago. I don't remember much of it. But the the uh, the essay in this isn't even really so much a socialist thing as it is like the way I interpret it. I had Thaddeus Russell on for that episode. And I think we had a slightly mm. different interpretation of the of that essay. I kind of interpreted it as like. And, and like kind of like a populism slash elitism type uh dichotomy type ex- like because uh, the whole idea of that essay was the majorities and the minorities and how they interact yeah. with each other and, and I, that was I, that was yeah. the uh the first bit yeah, yeah. It, it literally says minorities versus majorities yeah. um the the one thing that really jumped out to me in the first half that i did read was the um which is uh, very true and very relevant right now, which is the quantity quality thing. Mm. And uh, that she's like the, and this was in 1910, mind you, that she was saying that quality was dropping for quantity and output, all that sort of stuff, which is very interesting, um, especially because she's, uh, she's Russian, right? And she was in the Soviet Union for a little bit. I think so yeah i know she yeah. got sent back to the soviet union at one point for uh with uh, with one of the, some of the war stuff i forget and the the i'm shaking the historical aspects of it but yeah i know she got sent back to it at some point and that, that she was one of the first people to like kind of blow the whistle and be like whoa this shit is fucked and uh yeah, yeah. <laughs> so interesting all, but yeah that, the, that was that sort of jumped out to me that the that she was talking about quality quantity sort of argument which is <sighs> It, it sounded like it was almost criticizing capitalism, which is probably what she was doing. Um, sort of, yeah. Or, yeah, because it, it sort of spiraled and become that now anyway. So Yeah. You know. I mean, to be fair to her, I'd say she was criticizing state capitalism. I, al- yeah. I also kind of interpret it as a way to kind of interpret how ideas move within the, uh, a social atmosphere, if you will. So Because she didn't only apply it to that. Because she used it to kind of explain art. And I do think there are some flaws to the way she explained it, but there's definitely some explanatory power in some things in the idea of certain concepts arise and then uh, once it reaches the masses, it kind of uh, dilutes the message and it kind of gets mm. perverted to some extent depending on what the thing is. And the whole idea of like these minorities drive concepts, you know, whether it yeah. be, I don't know, say, you know, even libertarianism is a good example of it. You know, you have... I don't know you have the you know the Rothbardians or whatever that that uh, drive where you could call them the minority and have this idea that they push forward and then along the way it gets perverted by the reason the Cato types whatever what have mm-hmm. you and it kind of slowly becomes this thing that they can they can shift the language once it ends up in the larger uh, you know once the idea disperses to the larger the majority it kind of becomes more. I guess you could almost say it's less concentrated, less pure. It becomes as something, a tool to be fixed. Like I, I think one example I use, I don't even remember if it's in the book. A good example would be like Christianity. I know you're, and uh, I'm not even trying to pick on religion. I'm saying like, because the example I would use like the Crusades, like, uh, you know, that would be a good example of like, here's this idea of Christianity. And then it like, it started as this like small group. And then as it, it dispersed, uh, it became in, in some aspects, some places used it to their own ends and the idea got diluted, you know, you know, with some of the yeah. crusades. Well, sure, I can, definitely I can something... speak on that. Yeah, I mean, I was only I example. We don't, we don't have to go too deep on, on the crusades. <laughs> that was a, that was a I know, I know. In mind. Yeah, go ahead. Yes. If you want, though. No, but I, no, I think you are right, is that we stuff 
that has again, it's often a good cause end up getting diluted. I wanted to briefly mention up until Constantine, um, the Christian Church basically was basically the welfare state in. It, it did all the, all the welfare stuff in the Roman Empire was carried out by the Christian Church until the three until around three hundred twelve or so, and then suddenly it got corrupted because it was seen as being popular and being good. So all the rich people could then got involved and corrupted it. I think that's a big problem that we have in society as a whole. Anything that starts off good, then gets corrupted by by people who are rich and powerful and come in and use it for their own cause and use it for their own good. So mm-hmm. I th- and that is like even though that's what almost two millennia old. It's, it still happens to the States. It's an ongoing lesson we have in history is that any good cause can ultimately be corrupted. Yes. And it's the idea that, and that's one big thing she goes into that, that these ideas come up from this minority, whether it be one person, a small group, it is like this idea is held within it. This, this minority drives the idea and it kind of, you know, propels society forward in this whatever positive way. And then over time it gets diluted. And then the next thing comes up eventually and that kind of, you know, and that, that's the way I kind of interpret it, you know, and I, I find it to be, I mean, don't get me wrong, I think it has its flaws in some regards, but it, I think it's a good way to interpret some, the way the ideas move through throughout, like, uh, the, the populace at large, if you will. Well, this, this uh, passage here is quite interesting. It says, uh, yet when the crimes of the party become so brazen that even the blind could see them, it needed but to muster up its minions and its supremacy was assured. Thus, the very victims duped, betrayed, and outraged a uh, hundred times decided not against but in favor of the victor. Bewildered, the few asked how could the majority betray the traditions of American liberty? Where was its judgment, its reason, capacity? That is just it. The majority cannot reason, it has no judgment. Lacking utterly in originality and moral courage, the majority has always placed its destiny in the hands of others. Incapable of standing responsibilities, it has followed its leaders even unto destruction. Dr. Stockman was right. The most dangerous enemy of truth and justice in our midst are the compact majorities, the damn compact majority. Uh, Without ambition or initiative, the compact mass hates nothing so much as innovation it has always opposed condemned and hounded the innovator the pioneer of a new truth so it's yeah. very it's very interesting yeah. that Basically, she's uh, it's it's just it, you know it's it's individualism again it's yeah, it's, it's heralding individualism saying that the individual really? is smarter than the majority almost always. yeah and she's also making sort of a case for elitism is kind of the way i see it and uh, i kind of somewhat agree with it although i can I, I have I can understand arguments for populism as well. Uh, if anything, I think it's almost a little bit of a false dichotomy in some ways. But it's kind of the idea of like, uh, for example, I don't think we necessarily need a, li- a society full of libertarians or anarchists to have that society. All you need is like if you have people within the elite, you know, in a Hoppian sense, you know, the the true elite, the proper elite to kind of have this thing and the populace at large generally just kind of falls in place. And yeah, they may not be libertarians or anarchists or whatever, but they're but just going to... They'll subsist yeah. under the system. Yes, so they'll it's, just kind it's, of fall yeah. in. Yeah. So it's, um, it's... I can't remember who said it or where it came from, but apparently to change society, you need about 5% of the population. Yeah. Yeah, if we had 5% of people, uh, libertarians or anarchists or whatever, that, you know, uh, I don't, like if they were just 
and I don't mean like piece of shit. I just mean like people who, you know, are in the community, upstanding people who live good lives, you know, ideally people who are in like uh, positions of power. And I don't mean that in like a bad way, whether it be someone who's, you know, the, who has a local grocery store and is the owner or, you know, someone who has a large, you know, contracting business or whatever, you know, just people within the society that have these ideas that are like upstanding people. If you have enough of them, it just gets to the point where people just kind of like, you know, oh, that's Joe down the street. And he's kind of a large, he's kind of a, a, a decent presence in our community. Uh, you know, mm. someone that and, we kind yeah, of respect and, people, and emulate. And, yeah. Mm. And then I yeah, think yeah, people yeah. just kind of fall in line, you know, it's kind of like living by example type deal. So, yeah. And you don't need to convert them. You just, <laughs> no, they just kind of like no. understand like here's so-and-so and he seems to have a decent life and you know, I'm just going to kind of roughly emulate him. Yeah. So yeah. And uh, this is why I always mock the, the, the left people who always do the, the myth theory arguments. Mm. It's, it's my favorite thing because everyone that does it, I'm just like, I, I don't care about your theory. Does it work in practice? Yeah. If it works in practice, it'll catch on. So it's it's just and this is why I always mock them every time they're like oh but in theory well I don't care about yeah. your theory yeah if you're thinking in theory like the whole idea of theory is for it to be something that has explanatory power in the real world if you're mm. if it's in theory then it's like okay well it's useless I mean I do get I do get irritated with libertarians anarchists who like will shit on people that be like oh well you're just a a libertarian purist or you're just you know standing on principles or you just this theory that theory and you're like okay well the, okay well either either my theory is wrong or like it's really all it comes down to like yeah like a lot of people will say be like oh well we can't just be you know like uh, you can't be so focused on theory you know like well the whole idea of theory is to put it in practice and for it to mm. have explanatory power because a lot of people are like oh you know we can't just be principled libertarians or principled anarchists right now like Okay. What What do you mean? Like, if, if, if are you saying my theory is wrong? Because, like, if that's the case, okay, let's talk about it. Like, yeah. Uh, otherwise, you're just saying, well, I don't like what you're saying. <laughs> like this. Is yeah, and like when, when I okay. when I say I mock the the oh, yeah, right, people right. is because it's like um, it's all you ever see, especially for for a, a, a label like communist. Yeah. which has never been able to work in practice. And I think that's because it, it almost always has to transfer through a system of socialism. Mm -hmm. And what happens when you centralize power, people don't give it up, right? Yeah. Which is what we've seen every single time is it socialism. Say They say, we're going to go to this. They get absolute power and then nothing happens. Yeah, because, I know what you meant. It's the, yeah. uh, the generic idea with people always say, well, in theory, communism, this. And the idea is, but I'm kind of pushing back, and I'm not even saying you said this. It's the idea of that, like, well, no, your theory sucks. <laughs> like, yes. Yeah, yeah, and that's 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 what I was getting at. That I'm, yeah. When I, when, and it's specifically like the the communist stuff because I've uh, because I studied um, 20th century revolution, so obviously I've studied communist revolutions and that sort of stuff. And I'm like, well, they always they always come out with the theory and then they put it into practice and it goes to tyranny so yeah. clearly clearly your theory sucks yes yeah, so yeah take no, take your the theory argument and go somewhere else yes That's, i mean it's the yeah. idea of that if you i mean essentially theories are like the equivalent of like bl blueprints for something mm. if your blueprints don't work you can't be like well the blueprints are perfect and like what yeah. do you are, especially if you're but if you're like saying hey the blueprints 
are perfect and and everything you guys did like are, are according to the blueprints like well then something's off here it's clearly yeah. the bru- blueprints <laughs> like you know <laughs> yeah like you can't oh, just be like oh well <laughs> it'll work if we have certain materials yeah well that material doesn't exist yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's that's sort of where it is yeah Mm. I wanted to finish up by looking at Lysander Spooner's uh, essay, No Treason and the Constitution of No Authority, which is admittedly applied to the US Constitution, but I think it still applies to the Australian one, especially in the context of voting, whether voting means you consent. Because for those, for those who don't know, Australians have mandatory voting for people of all ages over the age of 18, and you get fined if you don't vote. It's only a small fine, less than $100, um, depending on the jurisdiction. But it still is a fine, nonetheless, for, for not voting. And you have to vote on a Saturday as well. Every election day is held on a Saturday. So you have to go out, you know, on your weekend to go vote, even if you don't want to. And if you don't want to go because you don't like voting, you get you get fined for it, you get punished for, for not voting. So can we really consent uh, with our vote in Australia? And I want to read this. Uh, it's a long quote, but it's from Lysander Spooner. In truth, in the case of individuals, their actual voting is not to be taken as proof of consent, even for the time being. On the contrary, it is to be considered that without his consent having ever been asked, a man finds himself environed by a government that he cannot resist, a government that forces him to pay money, render service, and for great exercise of many of his natural rights, under peril of weighty punishments. He sees, too, that other men practice this tyranny over him by the use of the ballot. He sees further that if he will use the ballot himself, he has some chance of relieving himself from this tyranny of others by subjecting them to his own tyranny. In short, he finds himself, without his consent, so situated that if he use the ballot, he may become his own master. If he does not use it, he must become a slave. And he's no other alternative to these two. In self-defense, he attempts the former. This case is analogous to the that of a man who has been forced into battle where he must either kill others or be killed himself. Because to save his life in battle, a man attempts to save the lives to, to take the lives of others, neither in contest with the ballot, which is a mere substitute for the bullet, because as his only chance for self-preservation, a man uses a ballot. It is to be inferred that the contest is one into which he voluntarily entered, that he voluntarily set up his own natural rights at a stake against those of others, to be won or lost by the mere power of numbers. On the contrary, it is to be considered that in an exigency into which he has been forced by others and in which no other means of self-defense offered, his matter of necessity used the only one that was left to him. Now, that is 1800s English. It's not the best uh, to, to read, but the basic gist of that paragraph from Spooner is that just because you vote doesn't mean you, you get sent to the government because you have no other choice. And especially, I think, in Australia, you know, we get a, a, lot, of, a lot of shit from Americans in particular for voting on Election Day. And I think it's like, well... Just because you vote doesn't mean you consent to what the government's doing. I think that's probably a very important distinction to make. Just because you vote doesn't mean you agree with the government or just because you vote fair. (laughs) Okay, Jack. No, you you vote for the least least bad party um, simply because you want to try and act in your own self-interest because that's all you can do, really. Yeah. And I wanted wanted to get your thoughts on that as an American. Yeah, no, uh, there's definitely a stronger case for you guys you made since it's mandatory that uh, the the idea that Spooner is getting at because uh, I mean a lot of people are aware uh, I'm not if you guys are that where I come from I my I, I would consider myself an agorist which would generally be someone who would prefer not to use the uh, political route in any way shape or form essentially like I don't I, I mean I I, I don't 
I don't think voting uh, necessarily or generally uh, will get you to your desired well, ends. I think you're better off not voting. I also think you're better off not trying to take positions of office or, you know, so on and so forth. I know a lot of people be like, oh, well, messaging. And I, but I have, I, I have, I have uh, arguments for that. But point being is uh, I still don't, uh, and this is where I kind of come at odds with some of my uh, agorist compadres where they will make the argument that like voting or political action is immoral. I don't think it's immoral. I just think it's, uh, I think it's not like pragmatic or practical towards your ends, but uh, I, like the reason why I don't think it's immoral is for this very reason. Cause I do take Spooner's approach and I do think, uh, I mean, maybe, maybe he overstates it to some, uh, some regard in a certain extent of the idea of that. Like, uh, you're going to, you know, you're, you're forced between these two things. I do think most people think they are forced for you guys. You kind of are, but for like an American, it's like, you can always choose not to vote. And I guess you guys kind of can, but you're going to pay a price. But even then most people would see that and be like, okay, but what we're voting on is my property or whatever. So it's like, it's the idea of that. Like if I don't vote, it's kind of, I'm kind of leaving it up to, you know, the, the, the populace at large to kind of make a choice on my, (laughs) yeah, my given property or whatever, you know? So, but I I mean, I would make, you know, as from an agorist perspective, would make the thing that's like, yeah, generally speaking, you're kind of fucked either way. You're better off just trying to step away from the system to the best extent you can maybe make yourself to be, uh, maybe put yourself in a situation where you're less able to be, you, you have your property taken from the state to whatever extent you can. But point being, as I do think there is a good point to that in that um, for most people, they do see this as a, you know, the, the idea of that I'm given two choices. So the idea that Spooner is getting at is the, what he's breaking down here is the idea that voting somehow confers consent towards the government and i i definitely think it doesn't because people are put in a situation where they think hey i'm being given this choice by this superior coercive power that is the illusion of choice yes it's the illusion choice you're being you're being put here and so you making that choice isn't it, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that you know that you uh you consent to being governed by them because you voted yeah uh, and know. australia i think australia has this uh in in spades honestly because this illusion of choice and rank choice voting kind of go hand in hand because uh you don't really end up getting the people that you want because there's not going to be a prime minister that isn't from one of the two major parties like that's just the facts of it like there is no chance that we will get a minority prime minister ever like it's just unless everybody votes for a minor party there's absolutely no chance that we will ever see a prime minister from any party that isn't labor or liberal and like it's the same it's the same in the u.s are you ever going to see a libertarian president don't think so I mean, it's a possibility, but my argument would be at that point, once you ever get to a point where you actually have a viable option of a libertarian party, it's probably been so bastardized that it's basically not yes. a libertarian party anymore. Yeah. So, <laughs> that's when you end up with the uh, Sarwarks, the Robbie Suaves, the whatever. I mean, I don't know if those the, names the ring Joe a bell Jorgensen's. to you. <laughs> the yeah. <Archie> Flowers. <laughs> yes. Well, I, I wouldn't even say Joe Jorgensen or Archie Flowers is a good example. I would think Sarwark or Robbie Suave would be a better example. I mean, uh, she boogied. Yeah. What is she doing now? Where'd she go? She collected her money and bo- and dipped. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. She's going. I don't know. She's in her sex dungeon. I don't know. <laughs> um, 
but it, I I kind of so it's it's like the American voting system is very interesting because it seems like they're trying their hardest to make sure people can't vote, or making trying their hardest to make sure that it's it's voted the way that they want it to. And I think one of the biggest red flags to me about the U.S. voting system is that it's not a public holiday or on a weekend. I tell you what, if you want to see people vote in the, in America, give them a public holiday and be like, hey, voting's today, you got the day off. Vote if you want to. And I think that should be the same here. It's, it shouldn't be, here's the day, go vote. Right? It's, mm. um, it's more, here's the day, if you want to vote, vote. Yeah, I don't know how much of that is a, uh, un- intentional or not, but there mm. is something to... I mean, don't get me wrong. We have conservatives and we have liberals. Essentially, we have the the, the Democrats, Republicans, and uh, well, I mean, if we're gonna make sweeping generalizations, let's be real. I'm not saying uh, the conservatives are amazing, but I would say, generally speaking, they're usually somewhat preferable, uh, you know, to the liberals or the Democrats. And generally speaking, making sweeping generalizations of the stereotypes of people within each party. If you're doing it on like a weekday or whatever, or not a convenient time, you don't make it a holiday. Generally speaking, the conservatives, the Republicans are going to be the ones that have jobs, things to do. It's harder <laughs> for them to get to voting. Uh, and the other ones, it's it's also more driven into their head of those ones that like, oh, get out and get the vote, you know, type yeah. deal. So there's something to that. But at the same time, I'm also like, less voting, the better. You know, like, a lot of people get like freak out about voting rights and like, oh, we need to make... I, you know, I'm completely fine with uh, if, if like the idea of the Constitution initially was, uh, you know, just property owners or whatever. I know it was like also just men, just just whites, whatever. But the less people to vote, the better. Like, and this is the kind of the idea like uh, with Hoppian's uh, concept of that, like monarchies are preferable to democracies and anarchies preferable to, to monarchy. It's like the less people vote, the better. Essentially, a monarchy is just someone with one vote, you know, because it's like the less people vote, the more of a import is put on your vote the more of a stake you have in it etc if you're a monarchy and you make a bad vote that might be your head <laughs> so, you know yeah 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 so it's not to say yeah. monarchy is ideal it's just i think it's actually preferable to a democracy and then anarchy is preferable to monarchy so so yeah i actually had someone go have a go at me uh because i i said that democracy is shit <laughs> like clearly you don't understand <laughs> yeah it's not my problem that you don't understand yeah if we it's give like, every everyone an opinion on super important matters of a stake in something yeah it'll totally turn it turn out well yeah yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. it's a, I don't know. all you need is 50.1 percent and then you can order a, around the other 49.9 percent that's it yeah, that's no, I, 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 I need to fix my car and I need help on it. So I'm going to give the entire nation a vote in how I proceed with this. I'm sure this will work out well. <laughs> like... basically, basically the Swiss system then, because they vote on all major laws. Mm. All Swiss people vote in a referendum on every major law, I'm pretty sure. That's That's not necessarily a bad thing. Really, like it's it's better than a representative democracy because representative democracy still puts the the populace's voice with one person. It's still it's still a flawed system where if it's um, where a system like that, everyone gets a say, right? Everyone gets to say their piece. 
where my my issue comes from that representative thing where it's like oh we have to vote and then a single person represents that vote well that that doesn't work because that one person can be corrupted with money at a bare minimum right and that is so easily abusable that and this is you know it's that's a whole other argument though so well at the same time the people can be the people can be um seduced by offers of free stuff yes yeah by yeah, government yeah. so they're going to be corrupted generally speaking i think the less people who vote the better so generally speaking <laughs> so, yeah no. Yeah. I think it's probably a what good spot yeah. to finish up on. Yeah, I think so. Finish yes. up, fuck democracy. <laughs> so, where can, where, <laughs> so where can people find you, Jose? Uh, I'm on YouTube. My show is No Way Jose. I'm Jose Galison. You can find me on YouTube. Uh, I'm all, I also have the Tower Power Hour show that I'm a, a co-host frequently on. Um, that is also that's on YouTube. That's also on all the major audio petcutchers. Uh, with Tower Power, I would suggest doing it on YouTube because it's or Odyssey. It's more of a uh, it's more of a viewing thing. But some people like to listen to it, so whatever. But my show is No Way Jose. It's on YouTube. All the major audio podcatchers, Odyssey as well. Uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter at uh, at twenty twenty No Way Jose, and uh, yeah, yeah, like I said, we're doing this Anarchist Handbook thing. Uh, I don't know. I have some good stuff. I've got a few episodes of Dave Smith. I've got a, uh, I don't know. I've got, I've been doing live reading on like agorism type stuff recently. That's, uh, I know that's not as flashy for a lot of people, but I've been enjoying it. So I don't know. Come check out my content. If you like what you heard here. Uh, if not, then don't, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. And thanks for joining us today. No worries. Oh, thank you. Thank you.